Today's podcast is brought to you by The Power of A. The Power of A was created by the American Society of Association Executives to highlight the many contributions America's associations make to the economy and society at large. Learn more at thepowerofa.org. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is CQ Now, your nonpartisan news source for how the inside workings of Congress and the federal government shape the real world. With warm weather approaching, Republicans and Democrats may at last be putting aside their differences to work together to address the Zika virus outbreak. Meanwhile, on the campaign trail, voters in five northeastern states go to the polls Tuesday. Will presidential frontrunners Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton put more distance between themselves and their challengers? And what about closely contested Senate primaries in Pennsylvania and Maryland? And for the budget wonks, it doesn't get better than this. Congress's spending decisions for next year will reach a crescendo. From here on, there won't be any easy decisions on every spending bill. I'm Adriel Bettelheim with CQ Roll Call with a look ahead to the week of April 25th, joined by White House correspondent John Bennett, senior political writer Alex Rorty, and budget and economics editor Jane Norman. First, the continuing flap over Zika virus. John, It almost seems as if the Obama administration and congressional Republicans decided to have a fight over this public health threat. Now the weather's getting warmer. You have cases of mosquito-borne virus linked to serious birth defects showing up in states. And the Senate, usually the slower chamber in Congress, is actually cobbling together an emergency package. Well, you certainly this week, uh, I don't know about anyone else, but at some point I shook my head and thought, here we go again. Uh, Here is a spending bill that both sides tend to agree the the federal government needs to do something. Uh, They agree that doing something costs money. They agree that they don't want folks coming down with Zika in the next few months. And yet, here we go again, we're going to have a fight. I don't know if they decided to have a fight, uh, but they're definitely having a fight. And once again, we've seen this play out with, with spending bills for, what, six or seven years now. It looks like Mitch McConnell sensed uh, a little trouble for uh, Republicans in November, and it's a different speaker across the Capitol, but here comes McConnell, it appears, and we haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen an actual bill yet, but here comes McConnell to bail out a Republican speaker who clearly feels like he has to appease uh, the conservative wing of his party that wants spending cuts. They don't want to spend the $2 billion dollars that the Obama administration wants to fight Zika. You wrote that this fight over Zika funding is in some ways just a, a further example of the frayed relationships between the White House and congressional conservatives we've seen, you know, really over the last seven years. It really is. It, it's the same play, you know, slightly different plot, uh, different thread. This time it's uh, mosquitoes and a disease with a, with a funny name. But it's the same components of the fight and you really get the sense that, that President Obama, and it starts with him, I think, and right down through his senior team, they've never really understood uh, the House Republicans, especially those, uh, you know, the, the Tea Party movement types, the ones who came in, I guess, starting in 2008, 2010. And they have at every corner tried to block just about anything Obama sent over. They've demanded spending cuts at every corner. And I was surprised, I've been surprised for the last few weeks at how surprised the White House seems 
that House Republicans might not want to spend as much as the president on anything, be it Zika or anything else. A very senior uh, conservative uh, political mover and shaker who's been down here for years once told me that he thought that the Obama administration or the president himself or his advisors, their view of congressional Republicans are very much the view of the Republicans who are on the Sunday news shows, which is, of course, we know a lot of play acting. That's right. And when you when we have seen Obama try to reach out uh, to congressional Republicans on spending matters and other matters, who has he met with? He's met with John McCain. He's met with Lindsey Graham. He's golfed with Bob Corker and former Senator Saxby Chambliss. These are old school Republicans who who used to cut deals. But the day and age of the deal cutting is is over, um, at least the way it used to look. And, and the White House has never really adjusted to this new kind of Republican and those kinds of demands. So we have the specter now of uh, an emergency spending bill, meaning uh, that you don't have to find offsets to pay for a response to the Zika virus coming to the Senate floor, possibly at the same time there are two other spending bills. Well, I'm not so sure we're not going to see some offsets, because if they, if they attach this to a regular spending bill, Number one, you're not going to be able to do it without offsets because right. it's no longer emergency money unless they word it in a certain way where it would be, but we don't know that yet. And number two, if it comes attached to any kind of regular spending bill, the timing then pushes this really past the election because nobody expects any regular spending bill to get to Obama's desk. It'll be another omnibus, and that'll probably be in the lame duck so the and the administration doesn't like that. They want the money now or as soon as possible. Uh, they say they're going to run out of money before November. And meanwhile, the House Republicans and the White House continue to spitball each other. The White House uh, saying that they gave an accounting of how the money would be spent. The House Republicans saying not enough, not enough. We want to know how this one point nine billion, two billion is going to go. That's right. And the White House replies to that with, you know, this is going to be an emerging situation. They don't know if Zika is even going to be a really big problem uh, in the continental U.S. So the White House says, we don't know how much money we're going to need. We don't know how fast we're going to run through. You know, they, they shifted around uh, $589 million, uh, lower priority programs. They say, we don't know how quickly we're going to spend that money because we don't know how uh, what the mosquitoes are going to bring. Well, no surprise that there's some high-stakes political brinksmanship in an election year, uh, this time over a, a public health threat. Um, let's turn now to Alex Rorty and politics. We have primaries um, in, on Tuesday in a number of northeast states, and it seems like some of the urgency in the presidential race has kind of sapped out now that the New York primary is over. Am I misreading that? Or and both, I'm talking about both Republicans and Democrats. I don't think you're misreading it at all. And as a matter of fact, uh, I think we can say both in the Democratic and the Republican race, we pretty much know how Tuesday is going to go. It's going to be good for Hillary Clinton and it's going to be good for Donald Trump. I, I think where the, the races go from there, the, the paths do diverge after that, though. Uh, look, uh, Hillary Clinton won a commanding victory in New York. It was bigger than what the polls suggested. It was certainly bigger than what the exit polls uh, suggested. She was only up by four points in the initial release of that. A good reminder, do not pay attention to the early <laughs> exit <laughs> polls um, from, from some of these key primaries. And, and, and look, does the, the race change uh, a whole lot because of that? Technically, it doesn't. Hillary Clinton was a prohibitive favorite to win the nomination beforehand, and she is afterward. But Bernie Sanders did have 
uh, a sense of momentum, at least among his supporters, because he had won uh, is either seven of eight or eight of nine of the last nominating contest. That came to a screeching halt, of course, in New York, um, in a state where he thought you would have some of his own uh, advantages. And now the, 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 the question is, what does he do with his campaign? And is he going to continue what has been, I think, an increasingly negative uh, campaign against Hillary Clinton? Or does he, as a lot of Hillary Clinton supporters would hope, does he start to throttle back? And, and we're going we're gonna to see Tuesday is not expected to be uh, a good day for him. You know, on the Republican side, it, Tuesday is expected to be a very good day for Donald Trump. Right. You, you think of his support really being concentrated in the Deep South, and of course it was. He did win a lot of states there. But he's also doing really well in the Northeast. And of course, Tuesday has a lot of Northeast primary states like Delaware and Pennsylvania. And polls show he has a big lead there. The, the question is, after that, there was already a showdown brewing in the next week in Indiana. Uh, and the Cruz campaign has already pointed to that race as the next big showdown in the race. And if they want to deny Donald Trump the 1,237 delegates um, necessary to clinch a nomination, that looks like that, that's where they have to draw a line in the sand and be successful. Now, in the Northeast, uh, actually the most intriguing story Tuesday may be these two Democratic Senate primaries in Pennsylvania and Maryland. Let's talk about Pennsylvania first. President Obama uh, actually got involved by making an endorsement in a toss-up um, race, a race seen widely as a toss-up. Uh, is that unusual? And who did he go for? You know, it's, it's unusual because the candidate he supported, Katie McGinty, um, is not, by a lot of Democrats, is not seen as a whole lot stronger than the other Democrat in the race, the former Congressman Joe Sestak, who actually was the party's nominee in the 2010 Senate race when they were running against Pat Toomey. Um, and only lost by two points in a really difficult year. So his involvement is a surprise, even more of a surprise, as the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee has now spent more than $2 million backing Katie McGinty. That's not unprecedented for them to have that kind of investment in a primary, but it is pretty darn unusual, and that's raising a lot of eyebrows. And a lot of Democrats uh, wrote a story recently about Democrats questioning why are we spending this money in a primary when it, you know, to us anyway, it's not clear that, that McGinty is a much better candidate than Sestak. This is money that could be better spent against a Republican, say, like Pat Toomey, who waits for whoever the nominee is going to be in the fall. It's been a very interesting primary. Right now, it's, it's almost a pure toss-up who's going to win that primary. And uh, almost as interesting, maybe as interesting, over in Maryland, you have two members of the House, Chris Van Holland and Donna Edwards uh, fighting to succeed Barbara Mikulski. Uh, who is Donald Sussman, and what is his connection to Donna Edwards? Donald Sussman is perhaps the, the man most responsible for Donna Edwards even being competitive in this race in the first place. He spent uh, an astounding $2.1 million on her behalf through Emily's List and a, a super PAC backing uh, the congresswoman, trying to run TV ads, trying to support her. And this is critical because Donna Edwards doesn't have nearly the cash that Chris Van Hollen has. She has raised about $3 million this election cycle. He, meanwhile, has raised $8 million. Chris Van Hollen is a very well-respected Democrat, part of House leadership, and has a lot of connections across the country to help him raise money. Donna Edwards has Donald Sussman. And, and Sussman's involvement in this race has been a little shrouded in mystery to date, people weren't even clear that he was the one who was funding a lot of money until the FEC reports were released recently. And then there were a lot of questions about why. And, you know, in, in some of my own reporting, and I, I wrote a story about this recently, he doesn't have a personal relationship with the congressman, which a lot of people were suspecting. He released a statement uh, to Roll Call, his first public remarks about the campaign, saying, look, I just believe that our 
government needs to look like the makeup of our country and hold our progressive ideals. Basically saying that I support her because she is an African-American progressive woman, and we need more of that in, in the Senate. And it's a, it's a pretty interesting position. And of course, Maryland being a, still a, a pretty blue state, despite having a Republican governor, the winner of that primary, likely to roll on and, and claim that Senate seat. Very likely. Budget and economics editor Jane Norman, as was the case with Zika virus, we're seeing the Senate also take the lead on 2017 spending bills, which is a bit unusual. And it's gone, at least for a partisan Congress, fairly smoothly so far. But it seems like a lot of the easy, non-controversial decisions have been dispensed with. Uh, what's ahead? The hard stuff is ahead, Adriel. It's all uphill from here. Eventually, they will only be left with the really tough bills like the Labor HHS Education Bill, which has funding for the Department of Health and Human Services. There's all kinds of landmines inside that one. Even some of the bills that have already gone through committee could prove, and they went through committee easily, could prove a lot more difficult on the floor. So there are some easy things that have happened so far, but it will get much tougher. There's a transportation bill, for example, that's going to come up on the floor, maybe maybe pretty soon, that has a lot of controversy attached to it over rules for how long truckers have to rest while they're driving on the road. It's an interesting issue and one that could tie things up. On the other hand, we've gotten, you know, some good signs out of the Senate. Uh, the, the Senate decided that it would not put a provision dealing with water in the energy water bill, dealing with how very small tributaries are regulated. This has been, this is a bipartisan concern on the part of many senators, uh, but they didn't add that to the energy water bill. So it remains pretty clean. The Obama administration is not thrilled about that bill. But I think there's an outside chance it actually could get signed into law if there's some adjustments made. We should point out to people who don't follow every twitch of this process, but remember from civics class, you're not supposed to do policy and spending bills. Well, that's a fiction. It that's a total every, fiction, right. <laughs> happens every year. Yeah. And, and the real discipline, the real question is uh, how much the lawmakers are pursuing their ideological interests and their parochial interests where they want to have the fight. Right, exactly. And you know, there might also be more time for the, the, the policy fights this year because the spending levels are pretty set. Uh, we're operating under this two-year budget deal, and so there's not a lot of wiggle room for money. They can shift it around a little bit, but appropriators might be a little bored even with, uh, with what they have to do with spending levels and make more time for mischief on the policy writers, which, again, will, will get the White House very unhappy uh, and, and threatening vetoes. We've talked about the incredibly tight uh, congressional calendar, the fact that they're going to be out of Washington so much. There's really only about uh, 13 weeks of legislating, yep. give or take, yep. uh, before the elections. Before the election. And uh, the very real prospect that if they can't tie this all together, get an agreement on uh, you know, an overall spending package, they're going to have to kind of freeze the status quo in place and do a, a stopgap bill that carries them. Right. And you have to do that because the money runs out September 30th. There's just there's no way around it. Congress has to pay for the government to go beyond October 1st. They run on this fiscal year. So that's a decision they will they will be coming up against very soon. And as you say, Adriel, before the election. Yeah. And there's uh, no interest on either side to shut down the government, even for a few days in some ceremonial show. Can so you close imagine during a campaign? No, yeah. I don't. I don't think that looked too good for anybody. Things aren't that brittle. Yeah. Budget and economics editor Jane Norman, the uh, hardest working person in journalism these days. Thank you. Thank you also to John Bennett and Alex Rorty. 
Uh, I'm Adriel Bettelheim. Until next time, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. Have a great week.